Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hello there. Welcome to today's program. Um, parenting your challenging child. This is what we do once a week to help you understand your behaviorally challenging child better and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach so that you and your child are working together to solve problems so that it's not adversarial, so that it's not enemies, so that you and your child are on the same team, and so that those problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes get solved, and those challenging episodes subside. Sure does sound simple. And in some ways, collaborative problem solving is very simple. I mean, this is adult and child collaborating together on solving problems. And to do it, to do what I call plan B, there's three steps. The empathy step, the define the problem step, and the invitation step. How hard could three steps be? Very hard. And life was hard already. Life with a behaviorally challenging child is hard already. And collaborative problem solving can be hard to implement in the beginning because it's not the way, well, it's not the way a lot of us were raised and it's not the way a lot of people parent. By the way, it is the way a lot of people parent too. It's not like completely foreign It can be very hard to get the steps down pat, to get the mindset down pat, to get the language down pat. It's hard. I mean, it's fundamentally simple. But it's also very hard, and life was hard already. So here's the good news. While collaborative problem-solving is going to make your life a little bit harder in the beginning because you're learning some new things and trying some new lenses on and implementing some new practices, you are also solving problems and thereby reducing challenging episodes, and you are fundamentally changing your way of interacting with your behaviorally challenging child and improving communication and improving your relationship with your child. So over time... 
if such a thing can be said about having a behaviorally challenging child, life gets easier. Not easy. I'm not sure that life with any child is easy. And uh, life with a behaviorally challenging child certainly isn't easy. The goal is for things to be easier. And actually, I'm not even sure that easier is the goal. Better is the goal. And that's why Lives in the Balance sponsors this program every week during the school year. Uh, It's just one of the many things that Lives in the Balance does to provide you with the hope and compassion and support and the help you need to parent a behaviorally challenging child. Now, of course, Lives in the Balance does much more than a radio program. Uh, If you want to see the video from the first annual Lives in the Balance conference on collaborative problem solving that was held in Augusta, Maine on November 12, 2011, they are finally now posted on the Lives in the Balance website in the annual conference section, the new annual conference section. And you can feel like you were there. Lives in the Balance also... Uh, advocates on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their parents and teachers and other caregivers in a variety of ways. We get in touch with folks in school systems and in restrictive therapeutic facilities uh, if we feel that we come across information that tells us that that person who may be influential in the life of a challenging kid or that system is going about things in a way that uh, isn't productive, isn't compassionate, isn't helpful. Um, We do that in a variety of ways, but that's why I founded Lives in the Balance. We're not here to keep the seat warm. We're here to improve things in our realms of influence. And Lives in the Balance is here to improve things for behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers. So my bet is that if you're listening to this program, you have already visited the Lives in the Balance website. The thing is, if it's been two or three weeks since you visited, then whatever that two or three weeks is, it's pretty surefire bet there's something new on the website. So you want to read the What's New section first if you want to, you're a return visitor and you want to know what on the website is new. We do our best to keep that updated as well. And details on the 2012 annual conference will be on the Lives in the Balance website as soon as we finalize those details. So uh, if you want to call in, uh, that number is 347-994-2981. And yes, if I sound a little nasal, it's because I have caught the cold the cold of the winter. Uh, My son has had it for two weeks. My daughter had it for two days. Now I got it. Everybody who works at Lives in the Balance has had it. I'm the last shoe to fall, as they say. But that doesn't mean we're not going to do this program. We're going to do this program. And once again, the call-in number, just in case, 347 994 
888-627-2981. Once again, the email has piled up. And so here we go. Here's the first one. Uh, Dr. Green, I just discovered your website after searching on the Internet for help. Good. I'm glad you found it. Uh, My nine-year-old adopted son was diagnosed with ADHD and is attending a new public school this year. The smartest kid in class keeps calling him gay boy. He has no idea what this means. He is rejected by his peers because because he's too outgoing and friendly. He never meets a stranger. He has been on ADHD medication for two months. It mellows him out enough to learn. He is starting to show signs of agitation from the aggravating bully. I have contacted the school with a letter to help resolve this problem, but I am afraid they will put all the blame on my son, and I know it's not all him. I'm waiting to get a response from the school. Uh, Sorry, I lost my spot. I was looking to see what the date is because I got this uh, two days ago, and um, so I wonder if you've gotten a response from this school yet. Also, he was put in an LD class for not reading well and writing. Honestly, he is bright, but I see a lot of hereditary genes from his biological mother. If the school does not respond, what should my next step be? Thank you for emailing. Brave to email and brave to ask for help. Uh, I'd ask for a meeting. Um, I think you're going to have to work with these people. This is a tough situation. There are numerous things going on at school that um, are going to require collaboration. Um, he's being bullied, as if that's what we want to call it. Um, he is a little too outgoing. Uh, he has some learning issues. Um, those are things that are going to require collaboration. And so I I suppose a letter is not a terrible place to start, but um, they've gotten a letter. I hope they've contacted you back. You're going to not only need to meet with these people once, but you're probably going to want to be collaborating with them on an ongoing basis because, uh, number one, they may not even be aware of the issue, Um, Often that's the case, in which case um, they're going to need your input on how things are going, what you're hearing from your son at home. They're going to need your input, your notice. You're you're telling us this is a new school. Um, They're going to need information from you about who your son is, what kinds of things he has difficulty with. I know that you are um, noticing some things are true of him that may also be true of uh, his biological mother, um, which is fine. You know, he's adopted, um, and maybe there's some things about him that are also true of her. Um, maybe some of those things aren't so bad, and the things that are true of him that you believe are also true of her, your best bet is to categorize those in terms of, or at least uh, capture those uh, 
in terms of lagging skills and unsolved problems. So another thing that you want to do is go to the Lives in the Balance website. And we do have a caller. I just want to ask the caller to hold tight until I get done with this email, and then I'll respond, I promise. Um, you want to go to the paperwork section of the Lives in the Balance website and um, print out a copy of the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems because that's going to help you identify and help the school understand who your son is in terms of lagging skills, skills that he's lacking, and unsolved problems. Now, you've already told us about some unsolved problems, uh, and it sounds like a solution is being applied to some unsolved problems. Um, if the un if an unsolved problem is difficulty reading, well, that's hopefully being addressed by the LD class. We'll find out. If an unsolved problem is difficulty writing, hopefully that's being addressed by the LD class. We'll find out. We don't know if that problem is solved or not. Sounds like your son may be hyperactive, inattentive, impulsive, because you've told us he's on ADHD medication. I hope that the medication is solving the problems that that diagnosis usually tells us kids have. Uh, a kid in the class calling him gay boy is an unsolved problem. Certainly, if that's bothering your son, it's an unsolved problem. I don't know that him being adopted is going to count as an unsolved problem. Number one, it's not specific enough. And number two, I'm not sure we can do anything about it. Uh, that he has traits of his biological mother, once again, probably not going to be able to do anything about that. So what I find is that... Um, Identifying lagging skills and unsolved problems is the best way to capture what's getting in a kid's way and the unsolved problems that are that need work and need to be solved. But do email back if you wish, or do, of course, feel free to call into the program and uh, let us know if you and the school are collaborating well together because given the number of unsolved problems that I am extracting from your message, there's a lot of work to be done, and it's going to take a collaborative effort to do it. If you don't hear back from your letter, call the principal, schedule a meeting, and um, bend over backwards to make sure that it stays collaborative instead of becoming adversarial as always. Let's take our caller. Hopefully our caller doesn't have a cold. Otherwise, it'll be both of us nasal today. We'll find out. Uh, caller from area code 207, and that tells us what state you're in, but it's a big state, so we have no idea where you are, and let's keep it that way. Uh, area code 207, you're on. How are you Hi, today? Hi, my name is Julie. Julie, it sounds like you don't have the cold I do not have the cold. We've all had Perfect. the stomach bug, but ah, that has that passed. one. Got, got it, got it. That's a brief one. I did have that one, too. How are you doing? <laughs> yes, that one only lasts a short while. I that am doing well right one. now. The, the cold lasts forever, from what I can tell, except for my daughter. Um, but you're doing well, you said. Good. But that's yes, are you calling right it? now. Are going well? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm quantifying with right now. Ah. We had a... Horrific morning. <laughs> ah. 
Well, then you've made a quick recovery from that, too. Which is why I'm calling you. Got it. Tell us about your morning, if that's what you called about. It is. Um, my morning and essentially the um, the whirlwind that is most mornings, I have um, an almost nine-year-old son who we've kind of looked into the collaborative problem solving for school a couple of years ago and sort of worked with his teachers a little bit on it. Um, but he sort of resolved a lot of his issues as he matured and as he grew and as these skills were no longer lagging. Um, I now have a five-year-old who um, is almost like two children. <laughs> she is uh, at school. They don't see any of the situations that we see at home. My son was the opposite. He was great at home. We had issues at school. <laughs> Got it. And what are the? And so you're calling about your five-year-old. I am. What um, are they not seeing at school that you are at home? They are not seeing um, – well, they see a perfectionistic tendencies, but she is able to handle them well. Um, she currently receives speech therapy, although, like, she's getting to be more intelligible. She doesn't have as many issues where people just don't understand her. And okay. at the beginning of this school year, she chose to be independent at school, and they figured it was because she was concerned. She's in preschool. Um, she was. They were concerned that she might just be alienating herself because she was concerned of not being understood. I see. But they're seeing that she is being understood, but that she just prefers to be completely independent at school um, because she kind of wants to do her own thing when she wants to do it. And for right now, that isn't a problem in preschool until they get into more um, directed learning type things. And she sits patiently and quietly. She's not disruptive. But if she doesn't want to do what they're doing, she just simply doesn't do it. And they're okay with that. Right now they are because of how the school is. Got it. Um, in terms of it's preschool and there's no musts, you know, um, as long as she's not disruptive, as long as she's staying with the group doing, you know. As an example, they were making clay insects, and the insect needed to have a head and abdomen and a thorax before you got glittery pipe cleaners to make six legs. She made a heart. Wow. So she didn't get glittery pipe cleaners because she didn't do the head, the thorax, and the and the abdomen. And she was frustrated at first that she didn't get glittery pipe cleaners, but she wasn't willing to divert from her heart to make a head, abdomen, and thorax in order to get pipe cleaners. Well, maybe she's a budding poet or songwriter, but keep going. Well, she's a budding something. <laughs> um, she is very strong-willed um, and very, like, she knows what she likes and she has kind of a past. Um, they have commented that in school, when she has independent time and they're doing some creative work, she she has a vision for whatever project it is that she's going to do well before she starts. 
and her fine motor coordination, her ability to draw a picture and cut out intricacies and and make three-dimensional castles and projects and drawbridges is like off the charts compared to some of the other children who aren't at that level. And like I said, she she sees this castle completed before she begins. Um, and in free choice time and, and much of the time at school, it's not an issue. And and again, when she made her heart, there was no behavioral disrup- disruption. It was just simply, well, then I'm just not going to have a pipe cleaner because I'm not willing to not make my heart. Whereas at home, an example yeah, I of... I all this uh, making life very interesting at home. Exactly, because there are certain things where I'm totally fine with, you know, a lot of divergent until it gets to the point of, it's time to go to school. Once she's there, she has a fabulous time, has friends, has a great time. Um, getting to school can be extremely difficult. This morning, um, Daddy takes her to school because I take her brother to school um, because of what time they start and the staggered. So he takes her to school on the way to work. And this morning, um, it was rough getting her into the car, and she got into the car but less than five minutes later, the front door opened and she was deposited back into the house without socks, without shoes, and without her jacket because they didn't even make it out onto a main road. She had unbuckled herself and she was taking off her jacket. And, you know, he's like, I can't drive like this. You know, she's tiny. She's five, but she's in a five-point harness. But it's not like she can't undo it. Mm-hmm. Um so he said, it's it's a danger. I can't drive with her just kind of running around the car. So he deposited her back at home. Um, what, what exactly her, was she doing? Um, after she calmed down and was able to talk, she said to me that she needed a tissue and she needed to wipe her nose and that she couldn't do it with her jacket on. The socks and shoes coming off was was when she was angry and frustrated. She needed something to throw at Daddy while he was driving. Hmm. Um and so to her, she unbuckled her car seat to take off her jacket so that she could freely either reach to the tissue box or wipe her sleeve on her nose, mm-hmm. which she couldn't do with her jacket. Um, so she had a plan. There was just yeah. no communication of that plan so that anybody could help her. I'm positive that my husband would have preferred to hand her a tissue. Yes, but instead, she, independent kid that she is, decided that she needed to get the tissue. Correct. And because she couldn't just reach, exactly. So she had to do what she had to do to get the tissue by herself. But also perhaps because she may have become accustomed because of the expressive language issues... She may have become accustomed. See, this is the interesting thing about us calling it independent. Um, the, the fact that she's getting speech and has in her past been hard to understand. Yes. It's possible. I'm just hypothesizing here that that's led to. I a think pattern. I see where you're going. I like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it may have led to a pattern where she uh, stopped asking because she didn't feel like she was going to be understood and just started doing. 
So yes, your husband may have preferred your your husband. I'm sure would have gladly, um, I assume would have gladly handed her a tissue. But oh, he would have like, given her a thousand dollars. It would have made a difference. But it sounds like this is more complicated than that. And you know, this is the interesting thing. Each behaviorally challenging episode is kind of a metaphor for all of the things that are getting in the way in the first place. Um, so that's that's all I'm wondering about is the little you've told us so far about your daughter um, is that she has some meaningful expressive language delays. There is yes. a hypothesis that she's does things on her own because even though she is more intelligible now than she was, you may have a, a, a pattern that has been established of her not verbalizing and simply doing. And if we're right, and of course I'm new to this, so I don't know if we're right, but if we're right, independent would be an interesting way to describe it. Certainly we could say that she's being independent by wanting to get the tissue on her own, but we might need a uh, more in-depth understanding about what led to that because that in-depth understanding might actually help us intervene better. And that is that she may have established a pattern of not asking and simply doing. Right. So that's very interesting. And so is that, um, I interrupted, um, which I apologize for, I always do, but anything else you want to tell us about this morning? Um, no, I'm writing this down really fast because that makes such that makes so much sense. Um, anything else about this morning? No. Um, anything else about your daughter? She she will be going to kindergarten next year, and she like I said, this is this is not just this morning. This is kind of a, a pattern that when we had an IEP meeting last week, it was discussed how. The behavior issue, again, very perfectionistic. Um, in speech therapy, she will have outbursts on those very first couple of sessions when we're working on a new articulation, where she's working on something that is a challenge for her and that she can't do exactly what she knows is correct, although we try not to use the words right and wrong, um, you know, we we have this goal of different ways of speaking or whatever, um, and when she's working on something where she has that vision of what she wants to accomplish or where she knows that a specific articulation sound is made and she's not making that sound, mm -hmm. she will have an outburst that is um, she throws chairs. You know, she she screamed at her speech therapist a couple of weeks ago, and it was like I was watching it in a cartoon where I was expecting her speech therapist's hair to flow backwards from the, you know, the rage coming from my daughter. Um, mm -hmm. So it it has escalated to that point. So we actually brought that up in the IEP meeting, and her teacher again reiterated they do not see that at school. So well, and that may be. Well, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the disconnect between I can't imagine she never gets frustrated at school um, and how she reacts so aggressively. You know, I don't, I don't know where 
why there is such a, a disparity in those reactions. What is happening at school that they're doing so right that we're not doing right at home? Does that make sense? Well, yeah, but the information you've given us, and it's probably more complicated than this, but what, I, what I've heard so far says to me that at a, at a very surface level, and my bet is that there's something to this. I'm just thinking it could be more complicated as well. They're not doing speech therapy with her at school. Nope, they're not. And often helpers, people who are trying to improve a kid's skills, want to help so badly that they morph into pushers rather than helpers. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in in collaborative problem solving, the kid's going to have to have some input into the pace at which the help is provided and perhaps even the the ability to say it's too much right now because pushers push. Right. And so that I've it's very common for me to see that in the best intentioned people who really want the kid to get better at something and are on the hook for helping the kid get better at that something often push too hard. And so um at the surface level what you've told me about the school is that um, there's no musts. And I'm betting that speech and language therapy is a must and that sometimes the speech and language therapist, when they're working on something in particular, is musting on things that are hard for your daughter. I think she does a really good job of recognizing the musts, you know, the pusher-helper. I really do. However, um, when it's time to step into a new articulation... Yep. You know what I mean? So, like, when that outburst happened, the next week we stepped backwards. And and we literally had a session where we kind of just refreshed with a lot of the other things and we read a book and we did an art project. You know, and it went better. So that we, right, so the goal of that session was to make it through a session in a positive way. Who cares if we did speech therapy? Well, we're, well that's the thing, because um, we wanted to go to speech therapy. Right. Um, so here's here's what I'm compiling based on what you've said. Let's say that it's true. I don't know if it's true because I've only been hearing about your daughter for 20 minutes, but let's say that it's <laughs> right. true that because of the meaningful expressive language delay, and I'm operating on the assumption, and I might this, I, this may or may not be true, that all aspects of language have been well evaluated and at this point are well understood. We, we, I don't know if that's true, but one of the things that it sounds like is quite obvious and quite true is that your daughter has expressive language delays. And yes. I'm also hearing, based on the fact that she's being described as being very independent, that she is much more inclined at this point to um, do than ask Um, Yes. (laughs) She does better under conditions in which there are no musts. But all of those things tie together in some meaningful way. Here's what I don't know. I don't want to put all of my eggs in the language processing basket because there may be more to your daughter than that. Just the little hint that I've gotten is that your daughter gets an idea in her head. It would take an earthquake to shake it loose. Yes. I'm hearing that. To what degree that ties back 
to the language processing issues and to what degree that has legs of its own, I don't know. Right. But my approach to these things is to understand really well. And as you know, I'm always understanding from the perspective of lagging skills, demands for those skills, and unsolved problems. So I'd want to be really comprehensive about what skills your daughter is lacking. I'm getting a strong bead on uh, expressive language. I'm getting a heartbeat on um, inflexibility and concrete, literal, black-and-white thinking, potentially. I'm getting a vibe Mm -hmm. on that. Uh, Whether there are other lagging skills coming into play, you'd be able to figure out by downloading the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems from the Lives in the Balance website. Did that right before the show started? (laughs) What's that? I did that right before the show started, yep. Perfect. So now you've got your work cut out for you for the next day or two. You and your husband can collaborate on that, and even you and the folks at school can collaborate on that. Because I don't want to just leave it at expressive language. I really want to understand what's getting in your daughter's way and what's the specific situations, those are unsolved problems, in which those things are getting in her way. And I've I've got some unsolved problems already. Speech, uh, um, certain tasks being demanded in speech and language therapy would be an unsolved problem. Difficulty when certain tasks are being demanded in speech and language therapy. Um, right. Um, I haven't asked you enough questions about that, and we probably don't have time now for me to do it, about whether there are other um, specific situations in which, like in the car this morning, she had an idea, didn't verbalize a request, started taking matters into her own hands, shall we say, Mm -hmm. perhaps because she's become accustomed to not verbalizing, um, so I'd, I'd want to nail down these specific situations in which life is especially difficult for your daughter, and now you know I would view those through the prism of lagging skills and demands for those skills. And then I'd want to see if your daughter would be able to collaborate, despite her expressive language issues, on solving some of those problems. She actually does a great job in hindsight reflecting on a situation and saying you know something like you know she, the, today she missed going to the dance studio because we got to school so late and she says i wish i wouldn't have you know had a had a fit because i really wanted to go to the dance studio like she she gets that she's part of the problem in why she's not at the dance studio. She takes ownership of her of her actions in hindsight, which Good. is actually far beyond be... where my son was at that place. You know. Well, and we're going to be wanting to doing the, to be doing this proactively, anyways. So, heat of the moment is not going to be our best friend. Outside the heat of the moment is going to be our best friend. Right. And we want this to be a team, as I was saying on the first emailer, and we want this to be collaborative, and we don't want this to be adversarial. And we want, when your daughter is struggling, 
for her to be able to, and she may already, but she, we want her to be able to see you and her dad as allies in solving problems. But we got to understand it first. Right. And, well, and um, how how do you, in the heat of the moment, refer back to Plan B? Or is Plan B so much, so fabulous in theory and then in practice that you never have a heat of the moment? Does that make sense? Well, I, I don't want to say never had a heat of the moment because never is a great goal and some people get there, but many people still have some heat of the moment um, Key to the moment times, but um, what what you're looking to do is get some collaborative problem solving under your belt proactively, and that's right. what's going to serve you well if heat of the moment should pop up. So there's a bunch of things that would serve you well if heat of the moment does pop up. One is you've gotten some plan B under your belt, and your daughter is able, and you all are able to hook into that, and she's able to settle down enough to solve a problem, but what I mean by getting some proactive plan B under your belt is you, you get a bit of a history going. You've got some plan B collateral built up, and that can serve you well <laughs> in the heat of the moment. But I'm going to I'm gonna lay money down. I'm not going to say what amount because presidential candidates <laughs> have done that and gotten into trouble. I'm going to lay down <laughs> 25 cents and bet that 99.9% which is a very lofty figure, but I'm going to bet it anyways. After all, I only have 25 cents on the table, that your daughter's <laughs> challenging episodes are highly predictable. Yes, Believe it oh, or not, even, even the car this morning was predictable. So yes, one of, and bedtime one of almost every night lately. Got it. So because these episodes are 99.9% predictable, we can solve the vast majority of them outside the heat of the moment in the first place. So it's true. If we're busy solving problems collaboratively, then there should be very little heat of the moment left. And that's perhaps the best way to deal with the heat of the moment, and that's to keep yourself from finding yourself in the heat of the moment in the first place. But that requires right. filling out that assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems that you downloaded just this morning and prioritizing which unsolved problems you're going to be working on right now, those are going to be plan B. Deciding which ones you're not going to be working on right now, those would be plan C. The ones you're not working on right now, you're not going to find yourself in the heat of the moment on those because you're not even going to bring them up in the first place. Those are expectations that you're removing. So no heat of the moment on those. They're gone for now. Right. The ones that you're working on right now, well, those are the ones that you are working on and you shouldn't have any heat of the moment on them because you're working on them proactively until they ultimately get solved. So, um, in other words, that, because we're oh, I'm sorry, because no, no. we're working on them. Let's say the going to school easily, um, and you're saying we shouldn't have a heat of the moment. Is it because this evening we're talking with her about how can we? go to school more easily in the morning and she's coming up with some helpful solutions so that um, her morning runs smoothly and she agrees to how she thinks it could run smoothly to make it happen well. Um, so then tomorrow morning when she's screaming, getting into the car or you know doesn't want to put on her shoes or whatever part of the morning process, and are each of those parts... 
We need to be precise about which those parts are, but each of those parts is its own unsolved problem. Perfect. That's That was part of my question. So each yeah. of the parts is an unsolved problem, and each which is probably why there are multiple unsolved problems that all happen in a short period of time, Yes. which makes it worse. Yes. Uh, I agree with everything you just said. And so now here's... Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, talking to her tonight about it, how do you then pull that in in the morning saying, last night you said that you would put your shoes on if we, you know, if we well, played music while you were doing it? You here's know what I I don't know how that conversation is going to go. You're, you're going to want to watch some of the video on the Lives in the Balance website because we actually don't know, unless unless there's something we that you're not have, haven't told us, we don't know why she's having trouble putting her shoes on in the morning. We, we don't know what it is about that. So the whole well, I don't either. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, good. But, well, I mean, not good, but we'll find out. So Plan right. B consists of three ingredients. The first, called the empathy step, is where we are gathering information from your daughter about the unsolved problem we're trying to solve with her proactively. It's going to be hard for us to solve the putting the shoes on in the morning unsolved problem unless we understand why that's hard for her in the first place. We gather that information in the empathy step. The define the problem step is where you're getting your concerns on the table about the same unsolved problem. Uh, when she has trouble putting her shoes on, and I don't know what her concerns are going to be. That's what we're going to. That's what we're dying to find out. Uh, you would then put your concerns on the table, and I'm going to make it up for you right now, just in the interest of time, because we only have a few minutes left. And I want to apologize to our caller from area code 515 because we're not going to be able to get to you today. But please call back next Tuesday, and I promise we'll put you first. Um, your concern might be that when she has trouble putting her shoes on. Um, it ends up that she's late for school, and that's hard for her. And um, you guys end up fighting with each other, and that's hard for you. And then in the third ingredient, called the invitation, you're going to collaborate on a solution that works, that addresses the concerns of both parties. Now, tomorrow morning, let's say that you accomplish that mission tonight, and you might not. You might not get through more than the empathy step tonight. I don't know. Tomorrow morning when it's time to put the shoes on, you have a solution in place that addresses her concerns, the ones that you found out about when you were doing Plan B with her this morning, uh, tonight, your concerns, the ones that I hope you got to in the same conversation. If not, you continue it the next day. And the solution that you both agreed to in a collaborative process, the solution will either work tomorrow morning or it won't. If it doesn't, <laughs> You'll find out why. Um, often the first solution doesn't get the job done. That often means that it wasn't as realistic as we thought it was, that it wasn't as mutually satisfactory as we thought it was, or that there were concerns about the unsolved problem that we never really found out about in our first stab at Plan B. Back to Plan B to find out what we're missing. Over time... And if she changes her mind... <laughs> Do you know changes what I mean? her mind like, about if what? She, can she know? Can she know what? I think we just lost our caller. Well, then 
if our caller can still hear us, and I'm not seeing anything on my switchboard here that says we lost our caller, but we did. Um, no, I hear you. Oh, you do? Yes. What, oh, I'm here. What? Oh, got it. What? What? We only have a few, about 30 seconds left. What are you thinking she might change her mind about? Oh, about why she's having a problem. Oh, like tomorrow oh. morning it might be my socks. I don't know if it's because she's changing her mind. It could be because there's multiple things that are getting in her way. Okay. We want to find out about as much of them as possible in the empathy step. So now I'm going to wish you good luck tonight, but you've got that Lives in the Balance website to give you lots of resources for what you've got in for yourself tonight. Yeah. And I would love, please call back next week and let us know how it went. I will. Thank you so much. You bet. Take care. And that's going to do it for us today on Parenting Behaviorally Challenging Kids. I hope you found today's program to be helpful. And hey, man, we'll be back again next week. And we got two people that we know are calling. Talk to you then. <laughs>